Gavin. How are you? Good, thanks, Rob. How are you? Not bad. I'm in the office. I was going to say this is the first time I've done the podcast in the office, um, but with the lockdown rules, yesterday might be the last one in quite a while. <laughs> could could well be, unfortunately. I even got the hoodie. Got the hoodie. Never know. There we go. I was all, I was all suited and booted today as well. Branded up. Branded up. Even get the bottles. A lot. Oh. Um, look, so today, we've not done a podcast for a few weeks, but I thought today we'd do one on something we get asked about quite a lot since we launched uh, Recruitment Process Intelligence is what do we actually mean by data and intelligence in the recruitment process? So I'm a marketer. For years, I've looked at data, intelligence, well, it's things on Google Analytics, Facebook, Insights, you name it. And I get the power of analytics and insights throughout the process, whether it's an awareness stage, a consideration stage, or a close stage. So I kind of get how the power of data and intelligence. But from a recruitment point of view, what does that mean to you? What does data intelligence mean to you? So, I mean, I think I think it's for me, it's about providing information that is useful to the candidate or client. I mean, I think we, we don't fall into the trap of just saying, here's insights just for the sake of it. It's about providing information that, you know, prompts a decision and action or gives insights that allows a client or candidate to make a better decision. I mean, I think from my point of view, there's probably three areas or three times that we use insights and in, in intelligence most. I would say before the recruitment process starts, during the process, and then at the end of the process. And if I talk about before the recruitment process starts, I mean, I think, you know, as we've launched RPI, clearly one of the key elements is intelligence, uh, as it's in the name. Um, and over the, over the last month, you know, we're starting to really evolve our offering to tie in as much as possible to that RPI category that we've created. And I think intelligence, especially in today's world, um, is important because people are, you know, taking hiring more seriously. They're looking and saying, you know, in the current climate, every hire is really important to get the right hire. Therefore, that insights becomes, you know, more important. I think before the process starts, I mean, if we look at ourselves, you know, when we are working on an assignment or a project with a client, one of the key phases that we look at is scoping. And within that scoping now, um, you know, we've we've developed tools that allows us really to dig in a bit further, you know, to to some insights. For example, you know, let's say we're looking at a particular, you know, role in the US, for example, we can now, you know, show our clients things like, um, the location of that talent pool, um, what, what, what the companies that talent pool are working you know, in at the moment, what titles are other organizations calling uh, that particular role, past companies, skills, experience, et cetera. We can look at the diversity of the talent pool. And for example, if let's say we, we, you know, we see that the, the, the diversity of the pool isn't what the client is looking for, we can then have that discussion up front and say, okay, rather than looking for X amount of years experience, if you drop that slightly, the talent pool becomes you know, more diverse. So really what we're trying to do at that front end of the process now is give our clients insights to allow them to start to assess what they're really looking for. You know, in particular with diversity being, you know, rightly so a hot topic right now, it's not good enough to give that insights at the end of the process. For us, it's about bringing that up front to really bring that kind of scoping, you know, session uh, to life with the client. So that's really almost before the process starts, we're actually going into quite a bit of detail now saying, here's what you need to know about the the kind of, the, I guess the term, the total addressable market, mm. you could say the talent addressable market. So here is here is information about, you know, the, the addressable market for the particular hire. I think then during the process, so if we talk about insights that we're giving, you know, clients during the process, so we're looking at things like benchmarking. So, you know, what are other organizations paying for this role, both in terms of salary, bonus, benefits, et cetera. Um, we're, we're giving clients competitive insights saying we have heard 
that this organisation is doing this, you know, relative to, to this particular role. Um, and we're also, one of our key parts of our process is, is, is the six Fs. So looking at the factors that are important to candidates. And we're able to give insights during the process that says, you know, we're, we're really seeing that for this particular role, you know, freedom, for example, you know, is, is one of the areas that, mm. you know, candidates are particularly uh, interested in. Um, and then also during the process, we're able to back up that diversity data and say, you know, of the long list that we've spoke to, you know, 30% of that long list are, are diverse as, a, as an example. I think then the end point would be after the process. So, you know, once the process is included, we can almost look at metrics relating to the process, but also just metrics kind of relating to, you know, the, the organization. So, for example, things like um, brand engagement. So, you know, of that long list, how many candidates knew of the particular brand, were engaged by the particular brand, you know, where it felt good about the particular, you know, organization. And um, we can also then look at the kind of traditional metrics, like how long did it take us to fill the role? You know, time to shortlist, time to offer. And um, we do, you know, formal quality of hire check-ins, one, three, six, and 12 months. You know, how is the candidate or employee at that point matching against what you thought they would, what they thought they would, they would do? So I think, you know, we, we're, we're building this data for two reasons. One, to give insights to our customers about the particular role that we're working on. But two, to leave them with some insights that allows them to kind of think wider and say, okay, that's really interesting. You know, we, we've got an issue around brand engagement. Only 30% of the candidates that Solutions Driven contacted actually knew, you know, about organi our organisation as an example. And now I know you wanted to show some examples, which we'll come to in a minute. Does that kind of data change based on the type of role, for example? So if it's a CEO versus, I don't know, a head of sales or something like that, does that do you still go, do we still go through the same process, or is the data still the same? Or we do. I mean, do I think different that, things. Is it quite flexible? Yeah, it's flexible. I mean, I think that the kind of there are particular areas that you know more senior searches will focus more on. Um, you know, than than let's say you know mid searches. But I guess how we how we collect that data is the same process. But we can bespoke that to the customer needs. So if the customer says, you know, I'm looking for in this particular role, you know, someone has to have had five years experience with their current role. I don't want a job hopper. You know, I want credibility, et cetera, et cetera. That's something that we can build in, you know, to the front end of the of the scoping and the insights. Great. So is it worthwhile you showing? I know you were... Of course. Yeah, yeah no, no so issue at all. Um, those, so, <clears throat> for those listening in, clearly you just need to try and grab a copy of the video. We'll put that on the website, but we're going to be looking at just some data on a spreadsheet just to show the types of intelligence we were talking about there. So, I mean, take this as an example. So, you know, what we've done here is just a complete example of EP of sales um, based in the US, you know, has to have experience of uh, working in SaaS and has to come from a pharma or life science uh, background from a, from a sector experience point of view. So what you can see here is just how we cut and slice data. So we can see that there are circa 160 candidates that match that particular requirement. And um, we can then look at where those candidates are based across the US and really then understand what are the kind of hotspots of where we should be, you know, targeting that talent. We can then look and understand, you know, where are those candidates coming from in terms of, you know, current organizations? What are they called? You know, because if it's a VP of sales, they could be called a variety of different things. Mm. And again, it shows you some, some examples there. And all this is doing is helping our team really make sure that we are addressing, you know, the, the total available market. We're looking at past companies. So is there any links to, you know, where they've worked before and, and understanding some, some, you know, I guess, connections there, past titles. We can look at years of experience and roles. So we can see, you know, that the majority of this talent pool are fairly experienced mm. and having had, you know, more than 10 years, which you would expect, 
you know, the level of a VP. Um, we can then look at tenure enrolment. So we can see that quite a quite a big part of this talent pool have actually recently moved. You know, so again, what will make them um, more likely to move just now? You know, what's the kind of candidate value proposition that's going to attract people that are already, you know, only in the, the current role two years? We can look at things like education background. So we can see, you know, what percentage of that talent pool have, you know, degrees, MBAs, etc. What did they major in? So what are the kind of functional um, subjects that this talent pool are, are most experienced in. We can look at diversity and say, you know, 19% of the, the pool are, are female, um, you know, 1% African-American, etc. And again, why do we do this? Because it allows the client up front to say, okay, so if we really want to make sure this is a, a diverse shortlist, we actually are comfortable with people with less than X amount of years in, in current role, et cetera. And then we can start looking at industry. So what industries will typically these people come from? And as you would expect, given that this particular one is SaaS and pharma, um, obviously the top ones there are, are SaaS, you know, healthcare, pharmaceutical, et cetera. And then lastly, we can look at size of company. So we can see that quite a big percentage of this talent pool are in smaller organizations, maybe fast growth startups, you know, highly, you know, highly growing you know, organizations. Again, the question is, you know, what will entice them out, you know, of, a, of an organization that may be growing, you know, fairly, fairly quickly. Then we can look at things like, you know, what groups are, are people on social in this, in this talent pool uh, typically, you know, involved in? Because that gives our team an understanding to say, okay, here's the areas we need to really, you know, get, get further uh, understanding in. So that's really just an example, Rob, of, mm. you know, some of the data that we're, that we're using ahead of a recruitment process starting. You know, and really th this data then gives our clients confidence that A, we can understand how we map out a market, but B, it's about giving them insights. It's about having those discussions around, you know, you'll see here quite a big part of the talent pool have recently moved, you know, in the role for less than two years. Is that an issue? Because we've got some clients that say, we want someone who's, you know, shown progress and has been steady and has been in the same, you know, role for five years, whereas we can demonstrate there quite a big part of that talent pool haven't as, a, as an example so it's really about opening up that discussion which allows us to to scope the role correctly so that gets used just for reference out at the beginning of just i suppose the kind of that purely gets it? used and it's, it's very new i mean we've literally just started embedding this into our process over the last few weeks mm -hmm. we used to do this more kind of indirectly through the process and, and as part of what we've done uh, or what we do but i think now we're bringing this kind of front and center to the start of the process to allow you know our team and the hiring team to really just get a, a better understanding of, you know, what, what what is the candidate availability out there. And what's the feedback been like so far? I'm assuming it's, been I mean, it's the first time I've seen it, so it looks great. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, I think a few clients have, have said, you know, we're impressed with the level of detail that you go into. We're impressed with, you know, how serious you take this mapping out, you know, uh, talent. Um, and for us, it's about, you know, because I think too many recruiters can sometimes say things like, you know, this is a tough space, you know, there's not many candidates available for this role. And for us, going back to the word intelligence, we're trying to provide that intelligence behind it that we can back things up by data, you know, and, and also more and more of our clients are now expecting this kind of thing. I mean, yeah. I think the majority of our clients are, you know, multinational organisations, use data every day. Therefore, when they're partnering with the external organisations, almost have an expectation of, you know, how, you know, how this kind of thing should work. Yeah, I mean, it was actually leads me on nicely to my next question because I was looking at there was an article by a gentleman. I'm just reading his name here, Bernard Marr, um, and he was talking about he was coming at it from a I suppose a, we would call them clients or a company's perspective. Clearly, that data's for companies we are working with, but he was talking about 
the metrics should come from, I suppose, the the, brand, the company's goals, whatever their goals are. So, for example, their company goal, as you just said, was to increase its talent pool in terms of its diversity or maybe just reduce costs, for example. I can imagine that kind of like level of data, even one of the slides you showed me there about how the candidate pool in terms of it's Hispanic or was it Black American there, et cetera, that kind of stuff must be, as you said, does that almost become the norm or should be the norm? I think it should be the norm. I mean, I don't think it's yet becoming the norm. I think it should be the norm. I think one of our challenges that we're trying to educate clients with is some clients have, you know, the, the, the kind of um, buzzwords in mind, diversity, you know, mm. et cetera. And sometimes it's talked about too late in the process. So what we're trying to do, because by that point, the long list, the engaged list, the short list have been, have been screened. What we're trying to do up front is say, what is important to you? So almost to your point, start with the end goal in mind. So if, if the organization wants to increase employer brand or brand awareness, yep. if the organization wants to increase the, the diversity of their talent pool, what can we as an external partner talk about up front to really understand what we then need to do, you know, to build that into our, to our process? And I think that's the best way it works. I think, you know, when it's, when it's talked kind of at the end retrospectively, um, it's more difficult to impact, hence why we're trying to, you know, bring intelligence to the to the start of the process. And what kind of what kind of insights, for example, I'm just trying to think ahead. Post hire, so for example, once the hiring's finished, I know as you said, we we do kind of check in calls. What what kind of things do we look at at that kind of stage then? So I think I mean there's there's almost two levels of it. You know, I think as as you know, I I obviously focused quite heavily a few years ago on quality of hire. You know, and and looked at. You know, how do we build a platform that starts to measure that? I think mm-hmm. two things, you can only really measure quality of hire if you're measuring it against something. You know, I think it's too subjective to say Gavin isn't a good fit six months later. It's almost why and where are the where are the gaps? So what we're doing is 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 really, you know, formal reviews with clients, one, three, six, and twelve months to say, you know, how is the the, the employee that has now joined performing? But we're also taking information from that. And building that into to future, you know, hires. So for example, if an organisation says, "Yeah, they're doing well, but we really need more kind of strategic commercial thinking in this function," we're then taking that and saying, "Okay, the next time we recruit, we will remember that, and we will then build that into the the front end scoping that we talk about." So it's almost um, allowing the client to not have to keep saying that to us because we're then taking that, you know, data. And I think then, you know, we're you know from a, from a, an ongoing quality of hire, there's obviously there's, there's the kind of objective and subjective. So we're looking at, you know, MPS scores, how satisfied are our customers with mm-hmm. our process, but also, you know, how long do our talent stay? And we and we track some metrics just around, um, you know, the three things, the diversity of candidates that we've we've placed, um, the tenure of candidates that we've placed, and also how many as a percentage get promoted in the first couple of years, you know, when they when they join that organization. And do we look at things like our do we? I'm sure we do, but source of hire, for example, like did, I don't know what. Do you look at that post hire, for example? Did they come from LinkedIn or other sources and quality? Do we, do we look at those so I think, kind of things? Yeah, I mean, I think one of my kind of I'll, I'll go on my soapbox here, but I think too many people just look at source of hire and don't actually look at the quality of the source. So I think the key is matching that up. So, for example, you could have an organisation that say our best source is LinkedIn because we hired 100 people in LinkedIn. But what they don't see is, and all those hundred people, you know, X were leavers, X were bad, you know, hires, etc. So for us, it's about not only measuring the source, which we do, but it's also measuring the quality of that source, linking to, you know, how many of those hires stay, how many of those hires are promoted in the in the organisation. Right. 
So last one, a bit of a left field one slightly, but um, again, one of the articles I was reading, just doing some research for this interview was, I suppose around AI, and AI seems to crop up in every single conversation, but it was almost about, I'm just reading it here, how AI as a tool can boost recruitment effectiveness. And it was talking about how AI is getting better at understanding humans, whether it's personality traits, likes, maybe some of the data you shared with us, maybe AI over time or probably already does interrogates that data maybe at a deeper level. But do you think that limits so them? Again, go back to my market analogy where it's almost that kind of funnel approach where it's getting leads in, leads into the bottom, but getting people aware of the brand and so on and so forth. But do you think AI will help in terms of, I suppose, recruitment effectiveness full stop, but also all these kind of metrics and insights that we're providing, will it do a lot of the legwork for us in terms of providing insights? So I think, I mean, my, my view is, and, and we talked about it a couple, of time, a couple of weeks ago in the last one, you know, there's a blend of art and science in yeah. recruitment. And, you know, for me, the science is around, you know, how do we automate sourcing? How do we get AI, you know, used in the process? And how do we learn from what we're doing? And then the, the, the kind of art piece is, how do we engage candidates? You know, how do we provide um, insightful information to the customer at the point of time? So I think there's still quite a big role in for, for the recruiter, which yeah. is knowing your customer and knowing what data is important to your customer at the point in time. Yeah, you may pull that data from you know an AI source or whatever, but I think the, the human still has to think what's important to the you know to the customer. I think going to AI, there's probably three obvious benefits. So I mean there's there's clearly you know the, the time, the quality and the cost. I mean I think if you look at it, time, you know, we're using tools now that have AI built into them. That's allowing our recruiters to front end save time on that sourcing, that insights, that mapping out the market. We're also, you know, we've got options now that allows us to do almost blind sourcing. So to remove bias, you know, you can say, you know, rather than looking at a talent pool and being biased, you know, we can now look at a talent pool that is blind that allows us to, you know, prevent any bias as, a, as an example. Mm. Um, you know, I think then from a quality, I think where the AI impacts is the learning element of it. So there's clear you know, even in the tools that we use, um, AI isn't perfect, you know, so it needs it needs fed, it needs to learn, it needs mm-hmm. to improve, but it definitely will. Um, and then obviously over time, there should be a cost saving, you know, so, you know, rather than continuing to hire lots of recruiters, we are, are looking at what parts of the process can we automate, you know, and, and ultimately be be more efficient. So I think I think definitely, you know, anyone that says AI doesn't exist in recruitment is you know, for me, not thinking correctly, but I think there's a blend of of the science and the art. No, 100%. And the presentation was very good. As I say, I've not seen that before, so that was good. It was good as well. So appreciate that. Look, I'll let you go. Um, Super. So we'll catch up very soon. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.